You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that up, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast Part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we continue our 2022 look back and our off-season primer, taking a look today at the running back position, plus we'll look at the top 10 runs from the 2022 Miami Dolphins season. All of that and a heck of a lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The drive time box. That's another Miami Dolphins. Happy Wednesday, everybody, ahead of pre-championship round, or I guess the championship round. It is pre-championship week. Hope it's going smoothly for you. Just one more Sunday full of football, then of course the Super Bowl. But it always feels like conference championship weekend is the last real football weekend of the year. I can't wait for this one. We'll pick the games on the Friday show. And can we please keep championship weekend at the site of the top seed remaining in each conference, please? That would be great. Mostly, you know, I enjoy the weekend's post-Dolphins elimination more these days because Caroline keeps me busy and now Cam's part of the picture as well, my two beautiful kids. And we've been riding scooters, going to the park. We've been working on our wiffle ball game. And Wiffle Blast is coming up this week, and Team McDuffie is looking to repeat their championship from last season. The great news, last year it was windy as hell and about 38 degrees or something like that. But this year, we get tremendous baseball weather, low 70s, no rain, minimal wind. All day Saturday in Parkland at Pine Trails Park. If you're looking to come out, I know JT makes an appearance out there. It's his foundation. OJ's out there, obviously. I think some other former Miami Dolphins as well. Plus, come watch some uh, really fun wiffle ball and, you know, trying to top my three bombs I hit last year and the game-winning triple in the semifinals of the Wiffle Blast tournament. Before we get started today, I meant to include this on the Monday pod and forgot, so here it is. That's the beautiful part about the offseason is I can always just push segments down the line, which I do quite frequently. I've mentioned his work here on the podcast a lot, but ESPN's Seth Walder did a 100-man MVP ballot based upon ESPN analytics and his own perceived player value based on those analytics. He mentioned pass rush win rate for, you know, a guy like Jalen Phillips or for, you know, Tyreek and Tua or for Tyreek and Waddle you know, yards over expected for Tua, um, his EPA per drop back, things that most, most football heads would tell you are the top statistics for quantifying what happens on a field. Of course, as we know, as drive time fans, you can never fully quantify a game like this by the numbers, but it does corroborate the tape that you see. And that's why I like to use these numbers that do corroborate what I see uh, from 18 Miami Dolphins games on tape this year. For Seth Walder, 
for the Dolphins. Five players made the list, which in and of itself is a good reminder of how far this roster has come because we used to be like, can we get Cam Wake on the top 100 players list? Maybe like 85, and that was your best bet you were going to get. You know, I guess Jarvis Landry a couple of times in there, but not, no one that was ever a, a premier player at their position, right? We always wanted to get one or two. You'd see Xavier and Howard in there a lot, but that was about it. Now, different than the NFL Network list, but the math is the same, and it says that every team would average three players, right? 32 times three. Not a math scientist here. Um, mathematician. I just said math scientist. I'm going to keep it in the podcast. Would be 96. So I guess four teams would have four players, but the Dolphins are above that mean because they have five, especially when you think about the fact that you could argue for another two or three players on this list. Uh, for me, that would be Robert Hunt and Teron Armstead. And Javon Holland, I think, would all potentially crack my list. But either way, here you go. Your your top Miami Dolphins MVPs on the Seth Walter ballot. Tyreek Hill was first for the Dolphins at number six overall. Tua Tungavailoa was the next Miami Dolphin. He was 12th in the MVP voting. Now, let's go back to August when, you know, I hate using general perception to make a point, but because I never was concerned about this personally, but a lot of folks didn't know if Tua had the goods, right? He always did. He just hadn't been in a, a situation where he could show it, and the health is obviously a concern, but he's always had the goods. So back in August, when people wondered if he did, if I had given you a time machine, and again, the four and a half games missed, the playoff game missed, all that aside, if I told you Tua was going to be 12th in someone's MVP ballot, what would you say? Pretty good. We should keep that guy around. He was 12th here. Jalen Waddle, number 40. That's also great for the second-year receiver, who, like I said at the beginning of the year, is top 5, 10 receiver in the NFL. He showed that this year. And if you think one playoff game changes that, shut up. <laughs> Just shut up. Uh, Christian Wilkins, 81. Jalen Phillips, 89. So five players on the top 100 list. None of those guys are running backs, though, and that's the position group we're talking about today on the podcast. Let's go ahead and do part two of our year-end review and stop by the running backs room, coached by Eric Studisville, who is also assistant head coach here with the Miami Dolphins. Team accomplishments. The Dolphins improved their yards per carry over the last two seasons by a decent margin. They were below four yards per carry coming into the season each of the last two years. This season, 4.3 yards per carry. The running backs, or rather all ball carriers, I should say, rushed for 1,686 yards. That's just under 100 yards per game. That's got to go up next year. Uh, yards from scrimmage. By only running backs and fullbacks is 18-18. That's pretty good. That's a big improvement off years past. And total touchdowns among running backs and fullbacks was 10. Now, the group as a whole, we saw a major shift from the running back room we saw in 2021. We made it a point on the podcast multiple times in 2020-2021 about how the running back room was constructed of 7th round picks and undrafted free agents. And that was the case again because Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert were undrafted and so was Savon Ahmed. Miles Gaskin was a seventh round pick, but you put more investment because they are free agent additions and guys that um, had proven more than that value as NFL pros. So Raheem Mostert was the primary ball carrier. Jeff Wilson, that midseason acquisition, came in to basically replace Chase Edmonds' role after he was dealt to Denver in the Bradley Chubb role. I still wish I could have seen more of Chase Edmonds. I think he had a lot more meat on the bone. Those drops were obviously a killer, but still a big fan of his game. But from there, he really replaced Chase's rep. So it was pretty much a, a, a clear one-two punch 
They utilized the fullback as much as any team in football. And I think it made their offense as creative as it possibly could have been. And I think we saw that kind of reduced in the last two games when Alec had the cast on his hand because you can't block as well with just one hand. It's not it's not playing, you know, any defensive position. You, you can club up and, and be okay. You're going to lose some, but blocking guys and using your hands like that's such an important thing for a fullback for him to get any snaps in those two games such a testament to the kind of person and player he is uh love Alec Ingold and then Savon Ahmed got a lot a lot of run in the passing game and he and Miles Gaskin were kind of the call-ups when either Raheem or Jeff was was out for a week uh before Miles got hurt at the end of the year pretty unique circumstance here that all four running backs are free agents heading into the new league year should be very interesting to see how Chris and coach want to attack this position it's such an important position in this offense and on the Monday podcast we talked about how all four teams on divisional round weekend that won really control the game with their running. I'm a huge proponent of pass to score and then run the ball to win in terms of pass first, set up the run, and then just milk that clock. And we saw all four victors in the divisional round weekend with the ability to run the ball when the other team knew it was coming to shorten the game. And I talked about with the Buffalo Bills, right? If you want to make Josh Allen continue to press more and get more of those negative you know, impact splash plays, Run the ball, shorten the game, and make it close late in the fourth quarter, and you can potentially have that happen for yourself. As far as what they have and how they attack it this offseason, that's why I'm so intrigued by it, because you have to love what you saw from Raheem Mostert when he was rolling and healthy. I thought his ability to shed tacklers and, and find lanes was really impressive. To me, he was clearly the top back on the Dolphins this year by, by a pretty good margin. I think he's probably your top priority in terms of who you bring back. He's going to be a big part of our top 10 runs list with many memorable carriers where he's dragging defenders. In fact, the top two are our plays where he drags defenders alongside him and also showcasing that speed, which is a huge must have for me in this system. Great system fit team leader. I think he gives you that level of continuity going forward over a thousand yards from scrimmage. First Dolphins back to do that since Kenyon Drake did it in 2018. That was kind of a theme of the room, the speed, right? Savans can scoot. And frankly, I didn't know Jeff Wilson had that 0-60 to 60 gear in his bag that he does. He hits line of scrimmage with as much urgency as anybody uh, in this running back room. And then we'll see what happens beyond that with Miles and, and you know Alec Ingold, obviously, back here at the fullback as well. But uh, to, to finish that point on Ingold that I want to bring it back to here, Talking about him opening up the playbook, you know, any big run typically featured Alec Ingold out leading the way. And the two highest snap totals he played this year versus Cleveland and Buffalo at Buffalo were Miami's two biggest rushing days this season. So he's a big part of this room in general. Let's go ahead and, and give you the individual stats and scouting reports. Miles Gaskin going in order of jersey number here. He played 39 snaps this year, carried the ball just 10 times for 26 yards, had 54 yards from scrimmage, did not score a touchdown. He forced 53 missed tackles this season and averaged 3.4 yards after contact. I thought his first two years as a pro were really good. I thought 2021 was a bit of a regression. And then this year, just didn't see much of the field uh, and then got injured late in the season. We'll see what happens with him uh, in this offseason. Jeff Wilson, number 23, played 297 snaps with 94 rush attempts. That was good for 392 yards on the ground. He had 486 total. He did score four times. He had 16 missed tackles forced and averaged just 2.29 yards after contact per carry, excuse me. But I thought that his physicality and what he brought in terms of, you know, powering through guys and setting a certain tone and tempo for this offense was very critical. 
the running backs got to catch the football better, man. There were some drops from him, Raheem, Chase Edmonds earlier in the year. Catch the damn ball at the running back position, man. That's a big part of this offense as well. We have to be better at that in 2023. Um, but yeah, Jeff Wilson, really curious to see where they go with him in this offseason. 26, Savon Ahmed, 70 snaps, 17 rush attempts for 64 yards, just 72 yards from scrimmage, one touchdown against Buffalo. Uh, he forced two missed tackles and averaged 2.41 yards per rush attempt. For Savon, it's all about pass pro because he's such a good pass catching running back. Those wheels, those flats, those those little swing routes, he can catch it and get going, man. He loves to operate out on the perimeter. But to be able to run that role, you have to pass protect better. So that's a big key for him, you know, this offseason. If he can come back, be better in pass pro, give us those special team snaps, um, and then contribute in the passing game. I love him as a third or fourth back on your roster. Number 30, Alec Ingold. Played 427 snaps, only carried it six times for eight yards. You'd love to see that. Had the two total touchdowns and had 113 yards from scrimmage, catching the football a little bit. And there's more on the bone there for him too, right? Like the drop against the Patriots on opening day. He can do a lot of stuff where he splits out, flexes out, and makes plays. And uh, he'll catch that ball most of the time. And then number 31, Raheem Mostert, 551 snaps, 181 rush attempts for 891, 1,093 yards from scrimmage, five total touchdowns. He forced a team high 39 missed tackles and averaged 3.52 yards after contact. To me, he's a no-brainer. We'll see again what happens this offseason, but he is such a good fit, such a great leader. The speed, the vision, the explosiveness, the big plays, the pass pro, he does it all. I love Raheem Mostert. But again, every back in this room, besides Alec Ingold, who's a fullback, obviously, will be a free agent this offseason. I cannot wait to see what happens with the Miami Dolphins. Let's go ahead and take our first break right here and come back on the other side, and we will talk about the potential markets for this running back position. We'll also do top 10 runs of the 2022 season. All of that's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We have the incumbents done in this primer edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go ahead and take a look now at free agency and what that might produce at the running back position, projecting who's out there on the market right now. Of course, these markets always dry up by the time we get to March in the new league year. But this will be more in-depth because or than the edge position, I should say, because, well, each one of our guys is a free agent and forecasting what happens here is tough because you have Raheem, who I, again, proved his value to me as a player and captain. We use a draft resource on Jeff Wilson. You guys know I'm a huge Savon Ahmed fan if he can get that pass pro up. My best guess is if you don't run it back, you try to retain Savon, bring back one, one of the other two and go out on the open market for uh, the two of the one-two punch behind Raheem. Uh, like, for instance, a running back room of Raheem Mostert, Alexander Madison, and Savon Ahmed. That sounds good to me, as long as you can make more improvements on the offensive line. And that's the prelude to my top option, which is the Vikings running back, set to hit free agency. And unless they deal Dalvin Cook, I'm not sure I see it in the budget to go back after Alexander Madison. You know, what will he get is in terms of the open market? Uh, here's what I like about Madison. 
A, limited wear and tear. When you're the backup to Dalvin Cook, you don't carry the ball a whole lot. B, limited exposure to suppress that market. Again, same idea there. C, he's played in a wide zone offense there under Kevin O'Connell for a season. D, far more physical than any back we have. And E, I think he pairs really well with Raheem Mostert, who again, like I mentioned, would prefer to come back. Spot Rack has Madison's market value at 2.2 million, exact same as Raheem Mostert. That would be on the cheap end. To me, good value though. And maybe you do bring back, you know, Jeff Wilson, if you can get all three of those guys at that rate, hey, that's not too bad either. So I don't know. Well, there are options here, you know, at the position that doesn't really require big money. Now, if you do want to put a premium investment there, those players are potentially out there as well. Again, all that with a caveat. These guys could sign back to their teams any day now. Saquon Barkley is the gem of the class, but he said he wants to play his whole career in New York. I also am pretty against giving players, you know, at that position, $13 million a year, which is his market value, 12.3 by spot rack, especially when they have that injury history. The projections that they do this are based upon similar production uh, with players at that position and what their contracts were. So his comps were Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, and Christian McCaffrey. So yeah, it's pretty top of the league. And that's also where Josh Jacobs obviously lands to the rushing champ this year. And Tony Pollard's also part of that group. Uh, even with the, the broken leg, I still think Tony Pollard's a phenomenal free agent option this year, but he's going to cost you a bunch of money. So I think it's 9.9 million was uh, the market value on spot rack for posterity for Alexander Madison. It was Naheem Hines, Justin Jackson, Ernest Johnson. And you're saying to me, geez, Travis on a great list of peers there, but I really think Madison's best ball is ahead of him. I was a huge fan of his game at Boise state too. He's the kind of runner that juices up the crowd. The offensive line can convert short yardage. He's a career 2.89 yards after contact on average player. And the one thing he doesn't have is the lightning speed, which of course is a priority here. But again, there's reasons why you're getting players like this uh, at their cost. Jamal Williams, Kareem Hunt, Miles Sanders, to me, are all kind of part of that mix. Sanders is super intriguing, man. He is a good three-down player. Splitting the difference there with him between Barkley and, and Jacobs compared to Madison. He's a 7.2 projected market value. That's your that's your speed. A number one back who plays 70% of the passing or of the downs, passing downs, early downs, does it all. If you sign him, you probably don't have a lot in the budget for anything besides a rookie or you know, bringing back a player like a Savon Ahmed. Like I said, tons of directions you can go here. Jarek McKinnon's really interesting to me. Rashad Penny, I think, is fascinating. I was a fan of what I saw from Jermichael Hasty in Jacksonville. I love Justice Hill from Baltimore. He's a really good fit if you want to kind of replace that two or three running back role uh, with pure speed, special teams ability. This is probably the easiest position to me to upgrade this offseason based upon the information we have here. Again, it could change, uh, could dry up, but the draft is also pretty rich. If I had to give you two choices for each tier of back and free agency, their top guys would be Tony Pollard from Dallas, but honestly, I, I don't love this route at all. I would include Saquon Barkley in there for the sake of two names. Uh, the medium investment that does intrigue me, Miles Sanders, and then Jamal Williams is the other because of his ability to score touchdowns and convert short yardage, which to me is the biggest need on the offense this offseason. But there's no way Detroit lets that man leave. He is such a big part of what they do in Detroit. And then the minimal investment is Alexander Madison and potentially Ronald Jones, the former USC Trojan, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, former Kansas City Chief. Uh, yeah, there's a reason why you're getting guys at that cost. But Madison, to me, is the biggest boom potential reward there for the low end cost signings in the draft class this year. You know, back when we had the two first round picks, I would say you're very much in play for what is a luxury pick for any team that can do it at the running back position in the first round. B. John Robinson from Texas is a top five player in this class for my money. Obviously, we know the value of that position gets suppressed every single year, but he'll go in the first round. Now, if Alabama's Jameer Gibbs is there in the second round, 
I would personally sprint that card to the podium. He's a special, special player who I think would fit perfectly here. And that's probably the only round two option for me. I love De- uh, Devon A-Chain from Texas A&M and his blazing speed. Not a big back, but he is super fast. Maybe a third or fourth round type of guy. Tank Bigsby from Auburn is, well, fittingly, a tank. <laughs> I'm not far enough into the tape to go deep into day three of the draft. But I think A-Chain, Bigsby, and then a guy like Zach Charbonnet from UCLA, three-down player who really excelled in the passing game, even at six foot one, two twenty. He's an impressive player. So there's some names there, man, to, to look at here. It's a great year to need backs. I cannot wait to see what they do, who comes back, who they target on the open market. Do they go that way in the draft? Easily the most options of all the team needs this offseason, if you're asking me, which you are because you're on my podcast. Before we get to the top 10 runs, I've been watching some TV. Have you guys been? Football's over, at least as far as the Dolphins go, so I'm watching some TV. Let's be honest, I usually watch TV every night. Uh, at least one or two shows. Um, the three that, I've, that I want to recommend here, I think one you probably all have already at least heard of, but The Last of Us or Last of Us on HBO, it's, uh, based on the video game, is really intriguing through two episodes so far. It's kind of a Walking Dead type premise, but hopefully it doesn't get as dry as Walking Dead. I didn't play the video games personally, so I don't really know what's coming ahead, which I prefer it that way. So don't spoil it for me on Twitter. Uh, Fleischman is in trouble is a Hulu Netflix or uh, sorry Hulu FX show with Jesse Eisenberg that was really really good it was a, it was based upon a novel adapted from a novel so the writing is fantastic and just really well acted and really really interesting for you uh, middle-aged dads out there I think and, and what possibly could become if your life doesn't go the way you think it could could go and then also a stand-up special on Netflix I'm a huge fan of Andrew Santino he is the co-star on the show Dave on net on FX. I keep calling FX Netflix, but he has a new Netflix hour. His podcast, by the way, whiskey ginger is also phenomenal. His Netflix hour cheeseburger is very, very good. So that's my recommendations. Let's go ahead and take a break right here and come back on the other side and do the top 10 runs from 2022. That's next drive time podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield brought to you by auto nation. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We're celebrating the top 10 plays in various position groups, various forms of the Dolphins 2022 season. And we pick it up here with the top 10 runs. You can find these video elements up on the team YouTube channel. Why don't we go ahead and start with run number 10 when Jeff Wilson lowers the boom versus the Browns. Still in the backfield and another first down. And this is Wilson straight ahead. Look at the hole he finds inside the 30, inside the 25 yard line. Another Miami first down to see the cutback and that burst right through the hole. Yeah, we're going to go TV copies on this one. So the opening drive versus Cleveland after the Browns went down for a touchdown. Miami needs an answer. After he converts a fourth and one from the minus side of the field, Jeff Wilson gets a first down carry on the plus side of the field. And it's 20 personnel. That's two backs, no tight ends. Ingold motions from the strength of a two by two set to reset the strength to the opposite side of the formation. This is part of that creative stuff I was talking about in the running backs portion that leads Wilson into the B gap off the left side. You get a double from Rob Jones and Connor Williams that spills 
pulls out the one technique. Armstead climbs up to the second level and wipes out a linebacker. And then Rob Hunt pulls to that side and wipes out the other. And Ingold's pre-snap motion provides a lead that seals the edge from the guy that Armstead passes over when he climbs. Then it's all Jeff Wilson and the wideouts. He hits a big hole on a sprint. Cedric Wilson gets a pancake downfield. Jalen Waddle squares up a block. And then Wilson's one-on-one with Denzel Ward of the Browns lowers his shoulder and runs through a tackle to set the early tone. Miami would score three plays later to tie the game at 7-all. More from this game in a moment. Number nine, we go to Detroit, and the quarterback uses the legs to extend a drive on third and long. Third and six. Tua Pumpik's wide open to run, and he will do that. Tua off to the races. And a first down pickup. 18 yards for Tungavailoa. You know, we were talking to Tua about the injuries and all that. He said, I have such a passion for the sport. He said, I can't think of a sport that I'd rather play that's more competitive. It's all about team, and I want to do what's best for the team. So, yes, I want to keep myself healthy. But when I'm running, trying to gain those extra yards, I'm going to go for it. And that time, Tua going for it in a big, big way. He does go for it in a big, big way, and few things fire up a team like their quarterback scrambling for a big gain. On a day where the Dolphins' third down offense was stellar, 8 for 12 total, and perfect in the first half despite averaging more than 10 yards to go per third down, Tua now moves the chains with his legs. Lions stayed primarily in man coverage in this game. All day, Tyreek and Jalen made them pay. Listen to what I say, you just may. Uh, but now the Lions finally get it covered up. But then the B gap to two was right opens up as you heard the broadcaster say wide open. It's 27-24 Lions, 3.50 to play in the third quarter. You're either punting or going for a long fourth and down here if you don't convert. Tua keeps the eyes up, takes off for 18 yards, gets down to safety, and eventually throws the touchdown at the end of the drive to Mike Gesicki. Big props to Alec Ingold for a big block downfield on a Lions DB. Play number eight. It's not too hot out here for a penguin. Jalen Waddle nearly finds Pater in the playoffs on an end around in Frigid Buffalo. Thompson now tosses it. Waddle has his hands on the football for the first time. And he's going to take it to the end zone. No, they're not going to give it to him. They're going to have him down inside the one, which will be first and goal to go. What a play call. Great design. My personal favorite part of the running game, the Dolphins offense in general, is all the eye candy they can give to a defense. On this play, the right side of the offensive line pulls to the left of the snap to sell the run action to Jeff Wilson, who gives you a counter step in the backfield behind that double pull action, which we call a trap in the football world. Uh, Durham Smythe helps to seal the action by motioning in tight to the formation at the snap, but peeling back out to return motion right after the snap. Waddle comes from the right and catches that end-around flip from Skylar Thompson, gets big blocks from Hunter Long and Connor Williams, and lunges for the end zone. Now, they ruled him down at the one-yard line, and one snap later, Jeff Wilson took it in to bring Miami to within three points in the fourth quarter, 10 minutes to play in the AFC wildcard round, but give Jalen his touchdown. He was in. Number seven, speaking of a guy that did get in, the first career rushing touchdown in the uh, in the career of fullback Alec Ingold, punctuated by an impressive spike on the end zone in Detroit. Ingold goes over to take the snap, trying to run it in, and there's a flag down. The penalty is declined. Result of the play is a touchdown. And for Alec Ingold, that's the first rushing touchdown of his career. 
and some more trickeration as Ingold goes in motion and Tua is looking around at all the eligibles, putting his hands to the helmet, communicating what looks like an audible, a check, but then Ingold sneaks in right under Connor Williams, takes the snap and follows the surge from his center and he gets stonewalled originally, but stays on his feet and finds a lane to reach it across the goal line. Then it's an epic spike off the Honolulu blue end zone there at Ford Field. Play number six, Tyreek Hill catches a lateral and outruns all of the Patriots to the pylon. Toss it, Tyreek Hill works it along the sideline and he's in for the touchdown. Tyreek Hill showing off his agility and then his gymnastic skills. (laughs) As he flips into the end zone after that rushing touchdown on a pass that he caught, Two things made this play, Tyreek's unrivaled speed and perhaps the best blocker of the year at receiver from Trent Sherfield, or the best block of the year from Trent and who was the best blocker in the room all year. That's a lengthy catalog for him. 7-7 tie up in Foxborough, big game. Teddy Bridgewater takes the snap and swings a backwards lateral to Tyreek in a goal-to-go situation. Tyreek takes the ball around the outside. Sherfield makes a block on two Patriots defenders to spring Tyreek, who shows the awareness to put the ball in his inside hand and extend it out over the pylon. Six points, then backflips. Number five, we stay in the division. We stay on the road as Savon Ahmed shakes it and makes it into the end zone at Highmark Stadium. The running back gets the carry. Ahmed with a cutback. Oh, it's a tackle in for the touchdown. Savon Ahmed with his first rushing touchdown of the year. BYOB, that's not bring your own booze to the Buffalo Bills Stadium. That's hey, be your own blocker, man. You got to break some tackles, keep those knees high, keep those legs churning, and get to pay dirt. Mark Sanchez is great, by the way. I love his play-by-play calls. Get him on more Dolphins games next year, please. The Dolphins took the ball late in the second quarter, trailing 14-6. to 10 plays later on 1st and 10 from the plus 11. They go back to their two-back personnel with Savon Ahmed dotting the I behind Alec Ingold. Tyreek goes in pre-snap motion from the strong to the weak side. You get zone flow from the offensive line, and it's just a hat on a hat across the board. Good vision and good finish. From Savon Ahmed, you get a kick out and seal from Brandon Shell, a climb from Robert Hunt to wipe out a linebacker. Connor Williams turns and pins his man, and then Tehran and Rob Jones on the same side, on the backside. Ahmed makes a great cut behind the Rob Jones block and then powers through a tackle at the goal line and in for six and a touchdown. Number four, Jeff Wilson finds the end zone with daylight in a route over the Cleveland Browns. Wilson breaks to the outside. Got blocking in front of him. Touchdown! Have we even seen these Miami running backs get touched in the hole today? Not very often. Earlier in the game, Wilson showed you the power, and here he shows you the speed to put it away from Miami. As was the case all year long, you got great blocks down the field from your receivers. Trent Sherfield probably makes the key block of the play by cracking the end man and sealing him to open out the outside lane. For Wilson, he then just follows Tyreek Hill, who provides an escort into the end zone to give Miami 39 to Cleveland 17, almost a 40-burger, missed the PAT. And Teron Armstead showed off more of his prowess here. He completely washes down the left side of the line to create that big lane along with Trent Sherfield. And play number three, the Dolphins ran for a buck 95 on that day, so we're going to stay in against the Cleveland Browns, this time a long touchdown run from Raheem Mostert. Got to get in his face and get him to do something he doesn't want to do. Here's Mostert with running room to the 10, the 5, touchdown! I mean, these holes that the Dolphins are opening up today for these running backs are as big as they've been all season. 
So I talked about wanting Raheem back this year, and the top three plays are all Raheem Mostert. That one, a little more conventional-looking run as Durham Smythe leaves the strength of the formation to go in split flow, and from there, you just get textbook fundamentals across the board. Rob Hunt and Connor Williams seal a double team on a reach block. That's a tough ask. Then allows Rob Jones to climb up and attach the linebacker at the second level. Teron Armstead kicks out, and there's Trent Sherfield again down the field, wiping out a defensive back. And that's Raheem's vision and speed to run the safety right into the congestion that's created by Trent Sherfield and then beat him to the pylon for a 24-yard touchdown scamper. And then everybody goes surfing. One of my favorite celebrations in the NFL, Raheem Mostert's surfing celebration. The top two plays this year from the running backs, Raheem Mostert angry runs. Number one against the Jets to help propel Miami into the postseason. On second and short, back to the ground. Mostert has room and lowers the shoulder, runs over Jordan Whitehead, and keeps going to the 44. Raheem Mostert, angry running. And a first down and a gain of 15. Jordan Whitehead is a physical safety, and there he goes backwards about four yards. You just love to hear that. Some runs stand out above the others. This is one of them. Raheem Mostert greeted by two Jets right at the point of attack. He drops the shoulder, powers through one, and steps out of the arm tackle of the other before finally getting brought down after a chunk of yards and a first down in a game where Miami needed every single yard they could get in a game that was 6-6 to through the first 59 minutes and 40 seconds of play. Raheem Mostert helped propel you into the postseason with angry run number one. Angry run number two occurred earlier in the season up in Buffalo. Back to Raheem Mostert for a huge gain against the Buffalo Bills. First down, it's Mostert with a carry again. Shetty tackles Mostert down the sideline. He's got speed. And Mostert still on his feet, dragging Bills inside the 10. A flag down at the end of the run. Taron Johnson grabbing at anything to try to bring Mostert down. Wow. 68 yards, Mark. What a play. And flex on him. Go ahead, kid. Just an easy run up the right. Just a zone play. You know, Kenyon Drake had some fun runs here in Miami, but that was probably the best run I've seen by a Miami Dolphins back since Jay Ajayi in 2016. Outdoing the previous run, both in yardage and missed tackles forced. Once again, great blocks along the line, notably Connor Williams leading the charge and Robert Hunt getting another pancake in what was a Pro Bowl year for him, put him in the game. Uh, but then it's Raheem Mostert's speed and determination. Drops the shoulder again through one tackle, gets through another arm tackle again before back-to-back stiff arms thwart two more bills. Then it's another 20 yards before the next Bills defender and Teron Johnson comes in and gets contact. But then Raheem goes back to the stiff arm and carries Johnson for 20 more yards. And the only way he gets pulled down is by the horse collar. 68 yards, half the distance foul there. The Dolphins ran for 198 and two scores in this game. In this game, Miami had a 100-yard receiver and rusher. That was the first time since 2018 that happened. And Mostert was the first Dolphin since at least 1991 to rush for 100 yards in the opening quarter. Of course, that 68-yard gallop was part of that stat as well. So you go top 10 runs, 2022. Find the entirety of the video up on the team YouTube channel, as well as our social channels on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that fun stuff. Uh, You can find all these videos on the team YouTube channel. On Friday, we're going to do the top 10 takeaways and the defensive back year in review. Uh, Plenty of fun stuff coming your way here on the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, that'll be my time. You all, please be sure 
email to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out that YouTube channel for fish tank content, drive time content, media availabilities, Dolphins Today, all kinds of fun stuff up on the team YouTube channel. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, Daddy's coming over.